0: announcement to you, but um, last night I spoke in Robinson, Illinois, where Tony's brother Ray is the preacher and Ray and Katrina were there. And after we left last night and they were planning to come back here, they uh, had a flat shortly after leaving uh, the building and then found out in the process of changing that flat that another tire was bad. So they went back and spent the night with Ray. They, they were not far enough away. Uh, they could make it back there safely and are worshiping there this morning. So I wanted to, to add them to that list of people who are out of town, though they were intending to be with us. And thank you. Thank you for those who are visiting with us today. We have so many. Uh have uh, the Diesel camps visiting, the Brongers visiting. And we have several families that have uh, important members visiting, like the, the Saders and the Fishers and the Reeds. And it's also good to... Uh, to see Heather who I met recently in the Ellitz Bloomington area and I hesitate to do that not because these people are not important but because if I didn't call you out you're still important and we are thankful for your presence God bless you all and may God help us as we seek to study from his word let's read from Matthew chapter 4 In verse 12, When Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth. He came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea beyond the Jordan." Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their net and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering from various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Now, this section really began Jesus' Galilean ministry. What has happened up till here is largely introduction to his story or preparation for his ministry. But the Bible tells us he hears that John had been taken into custody and he withdraws. That word withdrawal is going to be used frequently in the Gospel of Matthew for Jesus' movement at strategic points. Jesus is going to walk full headlong into Jerusalem when it's time to die. But he has to prepare his disciples before that moment comes. And he comes into Galilee, and he comes to Nazareth, which is described as his hometown in Matthew 13, verse 54. But, but he settles in Capernaum, which is described as his own city in Mark 9.1. Now, Capernaum was alongside the Sea of Galilee. And even in this movement, even in Jesus' geographical movements, and where he begins his ministry... This is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Notice in verse 14, as this prophecy is quoted, it says this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Through Isaiah. Isaiah is the means by which this message is spoken, but ultimately the speaker of this message is God. He is speaking through Isaiah in the land of Zebulun, in the land of Naphtali. These lands that set in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus preaching along the Sea of Galilee to this city of Capernaum. This city which had suffered most, or this area which had suffered most in Old Testament times, or much in Old Testament times, would now be a region where the light was shed. Now, I appreciate Ryan's help this morning. I appreciate all of you who helped me from time to time with AV, which, which may be about half the congregation. But... But here you find a map of the tribes in Old Testament times. Thank you. Thank you. Is this the one I lost before or is this a new one? New one. Okay. I lost one Bob gave me before. Uh, But Naphtali and Zebulun were located right here. Naphtali and Zebulun. And um, now these tribal distinctions aren't so much important when we get into the Old Testament. But the area that Jesus is preaching around is the area that was controlled by those Old Testament tribes. By those tribes from Israel. And he said this land that sat in darkness saw a great light. Now, I want to explain to you, and that's a quote from Isaiah 9, verses 22. I want to explain to you why it is this is described as a land that sat in great darkness. Here is a broader map of the ancient Near East. Um, Here, you notice uh, the, um, the Tigris... River up here, and the Euphrates River here. Now, the the great powers of the ancient Near East were Egypt in the south and always a nation from Mesopotamia. Uh, they dominated the ancient Near East. If someone from this area was going to attack the people of Israel or Judah, we, we've often heard it said that the straightest The straightest distance between two points, or the shortest distance between two points, is a straight line. You've heard that statement. Okay? Well, you didn't do that in attacking Israel and Judah. Because if you marched across the Arabian desert, all your soldiers would not have anything to eat or drink. And so when they attacked, they had to attack. They had to travel along waterways and then make their descent into Judah and Israel. When they did that, the first cities that would fill the brunt, or the first tribes that would feel the brunt of foreign oppression, were the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. They were taken into captivity. Into Assyria first, in second Kings fifteen, verse twenty nine. They suffered much in the Old Testament at the hands of these foreign powers that invaded them. And these lands which had suffered had suffered so during Old Testament times and had been the first parts of the land to feel the brunt of foreign oppression, these would be Shown a great light as Jesus ministers there. Now, we'll make our points in the text as we move through the text. One point that we have frequently emphasized and we will mention today only briefly. What we see in this passage is again, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ that was promised to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. He's the one they've been longing for. We have seen that from Matthew 1 verse 1, you need a background in the Old Testament in order to understand the ministry of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And several times, Matthew has linked the Old Testament with important events in the life of Jesus and said this happened in order to fulfill what was written in the prophets that is true of the virgin birth, that is true of His birth in Bethlehem, that is true of His withdrawal to Egypt that is true in Him being called a Nazarene. All of these are said to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Even in His geographical movements, Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy. As we've talked about before from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, when the Bible talks about in reading the law of Moses, there's a veil over the heart. But when you turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. The point of that passage is that Jesus is the interpreted key to the Old Testament. And when you turn to Jesus and you see Jesus as the fulfillment, the veil in reading the Old Testament is taken away. Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It's not stated here as strongly as it is in the Gospel of John. But Jesus is the light of the world. These areas which had suffered so much brutality and oppression and had been taken into captivity, these areas that sat in great darkness will see a great light. These areas that were sitting in the strand of the shadow of death by the way, that's the same word the Hebrew text used in Psalm 23, verse 4. If I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. These who sit in the shadow of death will see a light dawning on them. Yeah. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to bear witness of that light. And He is the true light. That lightens every man who comes into the world. John 1 verses 4 through 9. And one of the I am statements of the gospel of John. Is Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John 8, 12 and John 9, 5. And he demonstrates that in John 9. By giving sight to man. He opens his eyes and he says, I am the light of the world. Now it may be today that you are here and you know that your life is steeped in sin. The contrast between darkness and light is a contrast between sin and righteousness. You see that in 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7, if we say we walk in the light, we do not love our brother, we walk in darkness. But if we walk in the light, to walk in darkness is to be trapped in sin and to be trapped in wickedness. And to walk in light is to follow the way of righteousness. And Jesus is the way out of that darkness. He can translate us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. Colossians 1 and verse 13. But the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. He is the light of the world. And for those in darkness, this is the place to be. Because we are proclaiming Him and speaking His words. And one thing to do to turn from darkness to light is to repent. Jesus' message in Matthew 4 and verse 17 is the same as John's in Matthew 3 and verse 2. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Turn the way you're going. If you're living in sin and you're walking in darkness, turn around and follow the light of the world and walk as children of light. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God was about to do a dramatic thing and demonstrate His rule and His reign through the person of Jesus, His Son. But to this point, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is pretty much making this journey alone. For this journey to be effected after his ministry is completed, he will have to have disciples to carry on that message. And we see this in verses 18 through 22. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he sees two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew and, and they are about the work of fishing. And many people in Capernaum made their living by fishing. Many people in this area profited of the fish and in the, in the uh, creatures in the Sea of Galilee. And Peter and Andrew, James and John are among them. And they're casting their net for they were fishermen. And Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men immediately. And so if you know that term in our Mark study we've emphasized that term is used about 42 times in the Gospel of Mark. He uses it much more frequently. Matthew doesn't use it as often, but here he does. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. The same word will be used later in verse 22, where immediately James and John leave their boat and their father and they follow him. Now, this is very instructive. From several different points of view. What Jesus says, How they respond. And even. Who they are. Jesus calls them. And says follow me. Do you know. As Jack Lewis stated in his commentary on Matthew. We do not have an example, another example, of a Jewish rabbi calling a disciple. What disciples did is disciples listened. Disciples tried to hear things and then they determined a teacher that they felt would teach them what they needed. And they went and they asked the teacher, the rabbi, can, can I follow you? It was the disciple who initiated the call. It was the disciple who initiated the request to follow me in Jewish practice at this time. But that's not how Jesus does it. Jesus initiates the call. Jesus does. It. And He says, follow me. There's several things interesting about that. First of all, it is interesting that as we look at great moments of salvation history, it is always God who is taking the first step to man. Abraham doesn't volunteer and say, Lord, here am I, send me. God calls Abraham to leave his country, to leave his kin, to go to his father's house. Moses in Exodus 3 does not want to go down to the land of Egypt and to bring the sons of Israel out. He gives all kinds of excuses as to why he is not the one to go. It is God who initiated that call. The same can be said of Gideon. Who doesn't want the responsibility of being a leader, of being a judge of the people in Judges 6. Or Jeremiah, who says when the Lord calls him to be a prophet, I cannot speak. In all these cases, it is God who initiates the call. And that is a revelation of God's mercy and God's grace. God is the one who is seeking us. As we have stated from Luke 19 in the account of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus. But Jesus is seeking to save the lost. The point is, God is seeking people who are seeking Him. Jesus is seeking people who are seeking Him. He is looking for disciples. And He in His mercy and grace extends this invitation to Peter and Andrew, to James and John. Follow me. But those words, those words are kind of direct, aren't they? It's not. My guys, if you're not doing anything else, it's not that. Follow me. Follow me. And they. In verse 20, left their nets and followed Him. Now, I want you to know this, though we don't know it from the Gospel of Matthew, we know it from the other Gospel. This isn't the first encounter between Jesus and these men. They are not following Him blindly. We read of their first encounters with Jesus in John 1, verses 32 through 30, 42, where they, they look, they, they say to Jesus, uh, can, can we be with you? And they uh, and Jesus talks with them. And then Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon and brings him to Jesus. So they, they've been around Jesus to some degree before. They've been around him, and even in this account, it seems to be paralleled in Luke five verses one through eleven, where the Bible tells us the disciples have been fishing all night and not caught anything, and Jesus says, "Cast your net into, uh, cast your net into the sea," and Peter says, "Lord, we've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything, but." At your word we will let down our nets and when they they catch so many fish that it seems like the net is about to break and they signal for their partners in the other boat and Peter realizes what has happened and he falls at Jesus feet and said depart from me O Lord for I am a sinful man even in this event There was something to demonstrate the power and the authority of the person of Jesus in this miraculous catch of fish. But Jesus calls him, follow me. And it is striking that the disciples leave all to follow him. In verse 20, as we've already pointed out, they left their nets and followed Him. James and John, in verse 22, leave their boat and their father and following Him. They leave their father. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In Matthew 10, verses 34 through 37. The call of Jesus instantly rearranges our priorities. It is a call of His mercy, it is a call of His grace. It is amazing that God is seeking sinful men like us and imperfect men like these disciples, as the text will reveal they are. That's an amazing statement of His grace, but there's a responsibility. Now i tell you. We do people a disservice. But we tell them, listen, you're living such a good life. He's such a holy life. All you need to do is to be baptized. That's the only change you need to make. Instantly transforms our priorities. He is above family. He is above occupation. He is above our own self-protection. God help us today. Follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers again. Now this picture of fishing is used sometimes in the Old Testament. For example, in Jeremiah 16 in verse 17 and 18. the back of 1, verses 14 to 17. If I mention your passage too quickly, you want to ask about them afterwards, feel free to. Those are pictures, though, in Habakkuk 1, in Jeremiah 16, of judgment. They're pictures of judgment. Generally, if you're a fish, it's a good thing not to be called, isn't it? But this kind of fishing is different. It is great to be called. Follow me. And I will make you fishers again. Jesus, Jesus who says, follow me too, by the way. In verses 23 through 25. He's able to heal all kinds of diseases. And people were coming to him from all over this region. To be healed by them. And they were being healed. And these large crowds were were following Him. This is a Jesus who has shown Himself worthy to be followed. But such love. Such devotions. such, Such a God as our God. And such a Christ as our Christ. Demands our soul. Our life. Our all. But I want to tell you something else that fascinates me. Jesus just says, follow me. The disciples leave all to follow him. Jesus didn't go to the rabbis of those days and say, hey, follow me. He didn't go to the equivalent of the big seminaries of that day and say, follow me. The most significant movement in world history is going to be based on four fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. That's not to disparage fishermen. That's not to, to mock them. I and mean, it's not to say that they would not have had some forms of education. But remember too, in Acts 4.13, that the Sanhedrin looked upon Peter and John and knew they were unlearned and ignorant men. They were common people in many ways. And yet, these common people, these fishermen with no specific theological training on the level that was possessed by the learned rabbis of that day, they are going to stand toe-to-toe with the religious authorities of that day and they could not withstand the wisdom and power with which they spoke. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble according to this world, but God has chosen the weak and the foolish to confound the things that are wise the weak to confound the things that are strong so that no one would boast before God and just as it is written let let him who boasts, boast in the Lord God's choosing of these people was purposeful it is purposeful and it demonstrates to us that the power is in Him not in these characters as noble as they were in many respects. It is also interesting. We studied earlier that rabbis that rabbis didn't initiate the call. The student initiated. And as the student asked the teacher, can I be your disciple? As he went to them, then the The practice seems to be that their goal was to become a rabbi with their own disciples. So they became disciples of a teacher so that they one day might be a rabbi and that they might have other teachers. But once we enlist as followers of Jesus, he is always the teacher. And we are always the learner. Our goal is simply to be disciples. Our goal is not to have our own followers. Our goal is simply to follow Him. May these lessons be written upon our heart and practiced in our lives. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God. Oh Lord our God, how great you are. How great your mercy and your compassion to us. That you have given your Son. That you call us into fellowship with you. That you call these ordinary people. To turn the world upside down. Thank you. For how you have done these things. That you have hidden these things. From the wise and intelligent. And you have revealed them. To babes. Thank you. And Lord. May we ever be. Full time learners. In your school. And may our priorities. Be transformed. By our desire. To follow you. Hold us in your hands. Bring us home to you in heaven. In Jesus we pray. Amen. I don't want to underplay the demands Jesus makes on our life. Being a follower will I mean turning your priorities upside down. You need to consider if you are willing to be His disciple. At the same time, if you say yes, yes, But I'm afraid I'll stumble and fall. The disciples know something about that. It is hard to pick out many instances in the Gospels where they look good. But I'll tell you what they kept doing. They kept following Him. They didn't give up. They didn't turn and walk away. They kept following Him. And eventually... We're transformed into God.